Welcome to New Human Living Radio Show, bringing you powerful interviews to awaken the power in you. Learn more at newhumanliving.com. And now your host, Les Jensen. So, are you sure about that? Are you are you sure your thinking's right? Because, you know, a lot of times we, we live in our heads and, and we want to we want to do the right thing and we want to make the right choice and and we get all mental about um what's going to get us where we want to be and we come to conclusions conclusions in our thinking about how we need to behave the choices we need to make the consequences of what, quote, might happen if we don't do it the, quote, right way. Hey, welcome to the show. I think we're going to have a great show tonight. The topic tonight is A Year Without Men. And our guest tonight is Allison Carmen. We're going to bring Allison on in just a minute. A Year Without Men. Think about that. So are you really sure you got it dialed in. You're doing the right thing. It's not that I'm trying to get you to question yourself, or maybe I am. But I want to share an example with you. When I was, uh, when the cosmic two by four cracked my head open and and reality came crashing in on me. I I had to scratch my head a long time to understand the nature of nature. And there there was a time in my life where I was studying the notion of karma. And I decided that any time we posture at all, we're creating a karmic propensity, a karmic outcome. And I was, and like, uh, man, that sounds, that sounds kind of overwhelming. Anytime we posture, we're creating a karmic propensity? What the hell? At the time, I was the chief engineer at a TV station, and we were, um, this is before HDTV was coming on the scene, and here I am, the chief engineer, and it's important that we're right. I mean, what frequency are we broadcasting on? What's the clock rate for the audio? There's all the, there's just an immense amount of details, and damn it, we have to be right. We have to be right in order to do our job. If we're wrong, we've tipped the cart over. We done broke it. Well, wait a minute. If we have to be right, I'm no posturing sproctologist. That sounds like posturing. I have to be right. Yep, that pretty much sounds like posturing. And so I told myself there has to be a consequence to being right. And so... I decided to be wrong. I decided to be wrong. And I had to put it into practice to get some feedback to see if I was full of it or not. And so I held an engineering meeting, and I remember it quite distinctively. I stood up there and said, um, regarding the microwave path up to the transmitter, we have to backhaul the HD signal up. Um, the proposal I, I generated last meeting is wrong. That won't work. I was wrong. I messed up. It's wrong. And I swear you could hear a pin drop in the room. They're like, what did he just say? In the next engineering meeting, I made sure I pointed out in a moment I was wrong. And something happened, and it, at first it kind of spooked me, because since I was the boss, 
and I made it okay to, for me to be wrong, well, boy, howdy, I made it okay for my crew to be wrong. Did I let the cat out of the bag? Did I break this? And a curious thing happened. In Before, when it was important to be right, out of the whole crew, just a few mavericks would ever, ever offer suggestions. Hey, we're doing the parade downtown, and we need a, a backup microwave hall. Does anybody have some ideas how we can do this? It'd always be these one or two mavericks that had a lot of self-confidence. They were quick to chime in. And when I made it okay to be wrong, I started getting input from everybody. People who had never have chimed in and say, well, uh, I'm not sure if this would work or not, but couldn't we do the wankle-dankas technique? And, uh, and what happened was my crew felt empowered to offer ideas that may or may not work. And to fast forward through the story, morale broke through the roof. People were coming in from home that would have never, ever said sentences like, well, I was thinking about that problem last night at home. What? You were thinking about an engineering problem while you're at home? I had never heard those words come out of my employees' mouths. Well, they had some skin in the game. They were they wanted to be part of the solution, and their their sense of ownership, their sense of satisfaction with their job went through the roof. Morale went up. Everybody's talking about what we're working on. People were happier with their jobs. I'd get a lot more ideas when I asked for input. And the department overall was just a much more vibrant, open environment for people to work in. People were happier with their job. What the hell? People were happier with their job because it was okay to be wrong. There was a huge karmic stigma with this notion of we're an engineering department, we have to be right all the time. Indeed, there was a huge karmic consequence with that posturing. And the reason I bring that up tonight is, boy, howdy, is planet Earth going through some transformation? People are really hungry for a sense of normal, whatever the hell that is or was. We're at a pivot point here, and we have an opportunity to choose things that we never would have chose before. And our, like I said in the beginning, our brains can talk us out of the right idea because it doesn't seem to make sense. It doesn't seem to make sense that there'd be a karmic stigma behind being right when it was your department's requirement that you were right. So when we have this talk tonight, and I'm looking forward to it, it's great to have Allison back on the show. A year without men, what the hell? Where's this conversation going to go? I I think we've been suffering from testosterone overdosing, and it's time for some new paradigms, some new narratives. And Allison's written a wonderful book that will hit the nail on the head. Again, let's get to it. A Year Without Men, the topic of the show tonight and the name of her book. And our guest tonight is Allison Carmen. After decades fighting to free themselves from male-dominated social and economic structures such as glass ceilings and pay equality, women still struggle. But many are poised to rise up with innovative ways to approach the many problems facing today's world. A Year Without Men is an essential guide to every woman's success and liberation. 
using the events of a very painful year in her own personal and professional life, her husband left her, her consulting business took an unexpected hit, and she faced a serious health scare. Business consultant and life coach Allison Carmen explores the forces in women's personal and professional lives that hold them back. As her book subtitle, The 12 Point Guide to Inspire and Empower Women declares, she offers simple practical tools to help women look within, to find their own values, morals, and passions, to work on their skills, to call on other women, and to forge new ways to do business. Together, women can create new ways to earn money, new ways to look at beauty, and so many other ways to be in the world. Join me in welcoming Allison to the show. Allison, it's so nice to have you back on the show. Welcome. I am so happy to be here. Thank you so much. Well, it looks like you went through the ringer. I mean, we had you on the show a while back, and and your husband left you, your consulting business took a hit, and a serious health scare. And in, in short order, you've turned around and wrote a book. Um, wow, that's that's passion right there. Can you kind of give us a glimpse of of the bumpy road, perhaps, that has led you to writing this book? Absolutely, and it wasn't something that that I expected. But you know, I'm always interested in the unexpected. Um, it was actually June 30th, 2018, and if you had asked me about my life the day before, I would have told you that I was in a wonderful, happy marriage with a great husband and two beautiful kids and a career I was satisfied with, and then I woke up on June 30th, 2018. I was sitting at the kitchen counter eating my lunch, and um, my soon ex-husband-to-be comes home and says, I, um, I want to have sex with other women. It's exactly how he said it. And uh, I want to leave you. And we could still have family vacations and family meals together and holidays. And in that moment, I, it, it was like someone pulled off my arm. I remember I actually fell to the floor because I was looking for some ground. It was like the thing that I relied on. It was my stability. It was my everything just exploded. And, and I, I kept asking him, is this real? Is this real? And he says, yeah, it's real. And, and I remember looking at him and his eyes just like glazed over. And it was a very, very painful moment and it continued to be a very painful part of my life. But within two weeks, he told me on June 30th and then five days later, my biggest male client that I had for 25 years terminated our relationship. And all my other male clients were kind of leaving, but not for any bad reason or anything. Project had ended. And then five days later, uh, one of my other clients, a a female uh, all-women-run business called the Motherhood Center, invited me to come in to be their part-time CFO. And literally within two weeks, I had no husband, I had no male clients, and I was working part-time in an all-woman company, and I started to experience a life without men. And it just continued. Uh, more women kept entering into my life, and uh, and life just kept changing. And as it changed, I started to see everything I had sacrificed for the life that I had had and all the times in my 30-year career that I had compromised because I didn't feel okay or I didn't feel accepted or I didn't feel wanted at a place that was, like you said, very high on testosterone or, or very masculine. And it was just a real awakening as to how women – give so much away to be accepted in a world that doesn't really accept their power to begin with. And I really tried to turn things around. And, you know, three years later, my life is very different. Um, I still live with a lot of pain uh, from what happened, but I live with, I hope, more grace and more dignity and more power as a human being and as a woman. And I wrote this book to let other women see what we're experiencing on the outside, but we must change from the inside. And I know you know that it's that inner world that if you can shift that and fully empower yourself 
and rise up in a different way, you'll enter the world differently. And that's when this dynamic, this patriarchy, this social system could really start to change. And when the world changes, it doesn't just change for women, it changes for everyone, right? Because we're all looking for a better, more equitable world. But in order to have that, we all need to treat each other differently. Nice. Well spoken. I like that. Well, 2020 kind of collapsed the house of cards, so to speak. I think there was plenty of our culture, even though it was, quote, normal, unquote, in 2019, back when normal was normal, so to speak, um, there was a lot of ways that we were incongruent with ourselves as a culture, incongruent with ourselves as it relates to the masculine and the feminine. And 2020, thank God, is this karmic rototiller that, that stirred up all our subconscious quagmire. And, and now that we're, we're taking fresh steps, we're taking fresh opportunities to recreate a normal, this is exactly the perfect time to put a more authentic, a more congruent um, narrative about the power of the feminine, the, the vision of the feminine, the community of the feminine, the love of the feminine, the compassion of the feminine, and, and to create that opportunity at, at the foundation of this new dynamic. When you look at um, some of the ways that your life has changed, you talk about your, your practice um, collapsing and you had this opportunity to join this women's organization. What are some of the the more fundamental differences you see in the dynamic to work in that environment. I'm so happy that you asked me this question because it is so, it was so different. It was almost shocking. And I remember I was at this meeting. Uh, it was a couple of weeks in and this, one of the directors at the meeting was talking and she started to cry and 30 years, I mean, I was a lawyer, and I represented a lot of big people, and I was a business consultant in a very masculine environment, worked for mostly men. Um, and this woman started to cry. And in any other environment, you know, people make it like, you know, tears sink ships, corporate America, like don't cry. And no one budged. No one cared. She was crying, and she was talking, and she was saying brilliant things, and no one cared that she cried. And I remember thinking about that afterwards, that I actually think, believe it or not, that men are more emotional than women at the end of the day because you have to include other emotions like anger and resentment. And what's so fascinating about that moment that when that woman was crying, she wasn't harming anybody. She was expressing her emotions. She was doing her work. She wasn't putting it on the person next to her. And yet I had been in so many work environments where women were put down from, you're, you're too emotional. You can't handle it. She could handle it. She was just having a moment. She was expressing how she felt. Yet in so many other environments, I watched men hit each other. I watched them yell at each other. I watched them yell at women. I watched all these other things that were so toxic. So I thought it was so interesting that I think because of the dynamic of, of how women are put down and, and women, they, people are looking to put women down in a way that we have this preconceived notion of what weakness is and what strength is. And I think the biggest strength we could have in, in the business world is to not put our behaviors and our moods onto other people and be respectful what other people think and what other people say. And so I, I find the environment at the Motherhood Center to be very collaborative. It's not that we don't have problems with each other, but there's respect. And also there's nobody, you know, putting women down. There's no one talking about, you know, things that they do to women or about women. It's just, it feels good. It feels good. And it, it's a very equal, kind place to work. And I really enjoy it. And I think there's a lot of respect that everybody has for each other. Um, so I think that there's nothing wrong with emotions in the workplace. I, I think that as long as you're not harming someone else, who cares? And I think that's the world we need to go towards, to, to care about the people we work with and treat everyone with respect. I like that. Well, with my opening monologue, I talked about posturing and to posture with anything really is, 
creates a karmic stigma for, in the masculine arena there's such a posturing with emotions in the sense that um, if I'm if I'm bold and um, brash and and confident and and kind of take a really uh, alpha male approach to putting my ideas out there and whatnot, and yet I can't show vulnerability, I can't show weakness, I can't show hurt, I can't show painful feelings in my psyche, well, that's just a train wreck waiting to happen. It doesn't matter what the quarterly reports are as far as profit or loss. I'm I'm in a stigma, a karmic stigma that that can't be good over time. And it, it seems like if we, um, I don't know, I'm just thinking in the moment, if we um, totally went emotional in the workforce, that there's so much he, uh, there's so much healing in the human psyche that it might take us quite a long time to get it all vented out. Um, but um, the reason it's all there is is we've been so totally postured towards no emotions, none of this. I mean, how do you? Uh, I know you're sharing your um, experience in in, a, in the feminine dynamic, but in the in the old school traditional business model, how do we bring emotions into the dynamic without um, um, breaking the the engine, so to speak? I think it certainly needs to happen, but a lot of times people are scared to death to share their emotions. What, what do you think? What? Well, I just have to say something about you know when you opened up with the posturing and how. What would seem to have happened and what I found that happens at the motherhood center is that because there's no posturing and people are more authentic, when people are more authentic, they're more creative. When you're trying to be someone that you're not, you're not your best self. You're not your greatest self. So you had people that were thinking about ideas at night because they were being authentic. They were open. So what's really happening is that, you know, we think we're having a more ordered society, but everybody pretending to be a robot. But what we're really doing is we're not allowing everyone's best self, the most creative self, to come forward. And so for me, when I look at corporate America, like, you know, I say the patriarchy is it's alive. It's a system where someone's on top and someone's on bottom. But people are not treated with enough respect and equality. So to me, it's, it's that's really where the line starts. It's like, are we really going to have a social structure where you're going to call out when a guy rolls his eyes when a woman's talking? You're going to call out right. when – you know, someone speaking condescending to someone else. You're going to call out when there are more men promoted than women. I mean, if you look at statistics, I mean, women and men equal, they enter the workforce equally, but two to one men get promoted after five years. And and, and the statistics are incredible. 1991, men and women were totally equal when they they graduated college, 50-50% women, 50% men. But 30 years later, only 5% women are CEOs. Only 10% of board of directors are women. So, like, how does this happen? This happens because the workplace isn't fair. And so, you know, this idea with emotions, it's, it's that we have to allow people a place where they can be authentic, they can be themselves. We're not saying, you know, people are going to cry and scream and talk about, you know, what's happening at home. No, what we're saying is that we're going to treat everyone with respect, regardless of their gender or their race or whoever they are, and we're going to allow people to speak their minds within within boundaries, of course. We're going to listen to people's ideas. And in return, I think employees have to learn to be more responsive and less reactive. So even though I'm not against emotions in the workplace, we have to be responsible for how we behave, right? We have to be responsible. It's better to be more thoughtful about our responses, um, to not, you know, walk around screaming at other people. So it works both ways. I think corporations need to look at the people that are working for them differently, treat them differently, um, think more about, you know, people having more balanced, you know, lives. But at the same time, as employees, we need to come forward treating our coworkers with respect. We need to find ways that internally we could find more inner peace within ourselves and more openness that when we do speak, we don't harm other people. Uh, we try not to yell. We do our best. And if we have this moment, 
when we get upset or we cry or we're off, that the people around us, we won't lose our jobs over it. You know, we'll just, you know, we'll all work through it together. And it takes a commitment for every for everybody. And I've had that experience, believe it or not, at this place called the Motherhood Center, where it's a day hospital where they treat women for postpartum depression. These women are suicidal. It is not easy work. And yet it's collaborative right. and it is beautiful and it's wonderful. And I've seen people cry and I've seen people get upset, but respect never leaves. And that's the key. If we have respect for each other, we're going to tolerate each other better too. So, yes, it's it's. A new, a new way to look at the world, but I think it's the only way forward. Um, I don't think people, like you said, I don't think people could exist like this anymore pretending to be somebody that they're not. Nice. I like it. Great words. Well spoken. I don't want to, unless we want to, I don't want to stay in the, the business dynamic of it. I mean, certainly it applies because I'm going to add one more point before. And then I think maybe we look at the feminine psyche and, and how you've changed personally. But I would say to the men that uh, so many times in our lives is when we're brought up, we're just told to suck it up and not show emotions. And when emotions do come to the forefront, we can feel genuinely spooked because we have no history, no experience, no intuition, no um, tools to really deal with it when our own emotions come up. And and we need to um, develop some habits within our own masculine psyche that when our own emotions come up, we don't have to shut the whole damn rodeo down just because we don't feel comfortable. The, 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 the men, the masculine, need to heal their ability to show emotions. And, and certainly respond to that if you want, but at, uh, I'd like... We're about halfway through the show. Boy, does time fly. I want to look at the feminine psyche and, and how um, some of the hidden gems or jewels of what you've learned um, have changed your life. So chime in. Yeah. Well, I think that's a really important point that you bring up, that that it does take. I think that men are not permitted to have that experience. And that does create this, this it kind of in a way creates corporate America, right? Because that's the flavor of corporate America. There's, you know, right. no emotions, cold, you know, profit, buck it up, you know, buck up, you know, just do what you have to do, suffer if you have to suffer. Um, so, yeah, I think that that is part of it. I don't write about that because, you know, the book is about the experience that I've had and what I've learned and, and to try to teach other women. But you're right. It is the other, it's the other piece. And I'm hoping that men will step up that do that like men like you that you know that have worked on themselves right and that are not afraid to feel that are not afraid to think that are not afraid to be different. That's the other piece of it in a way that you know men and women need to come together in a collaborative way to change the systems that we live in, the social systems that we live in. And without one either side doing the work, we're probably going to have a hard time getting there. So I think that's an excellent point, and maybe. Somebody listening will write that book. <laughs> <laughs> we clean up aisle five. Hey, uh, <laughs> um, in a in a collaborative way, uh, uh, very well spoken. Well, now let's look at what you've learned about yourself because you've gone through the ringer and. Um, what are some of the the nuggets of discovery of yourself? Be, because the day before your world got cracked open, uh, you might have thought normal was just fine, perhaps. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but, I mean, what have you learned over this that you think would help other women recognize it in their own life? Okay. I I think, well, I know, I thought that I was more empowered than I actually was. I, I thought that I was living a life where I love myself and I feel great about myself. But in truth, there was a large part of me that I think was hiding behind my marriage, that was behinding, hiding behind a man. I, I was in corporate America. I was a lawyer. I found it tough. I found it tough to compete. I didn't feel equal. I didn't feel like I had the same opportunities. 
So I thought like, oh, I, I went out, I started my own business. But every time I think I used to hit that wall, I'm not so sure how hard that I would push. I mean, people around me, they're like, oh, yeah, you always speak up. But I was hiding parts of myself. I was hiding parts of myself because the world didn't really welcome my power. And there were things about me that I maybe, I don't know if I was ashamed of, but that were not developed. I didn't fully love myself. I think I hid parts. I hid my body. I think that I still had fear of uncertainty, even though I thought I had mastered it. There were things I couldn't accept. I don't think I fully trusted myself. And all these lessons were hard to learn. They were hard to look at. And it's funny, I've been doing the work for all these years, but I had a backup plan, and I didn't realize that. My marriage was my backup plan. And when that was gone, when, you know, when certainty is gone, you know, you think you're living in uncertainty, but we all have little places sometimes that we hang on to things. And when everything was gone, I really needed to really embrace the unknown and really accept myself and trust that I'd be okay no matter what and accept what I look like and not compare myself to other people and and find a way not to have expectations and, and to let go and be fully present. And like I said, I was working on all those things, but when you lose the thing that's most important to you in your life, you go deeper. You crack open to a, a bigger reality. And maybe, you know, it's funny, um, you know, maybe that was my 20, my 2020 happened in 2018. And in a way, when the pandemic hit, I I didn't feel it as much because I had already had the explosion in my life. So it was just like a second explosion, but it wasn't as big for me. Right. Well, it's... Um, when you talk about trust, uh, a lot of times perhaps when you're in the business environment and you're in a board meeting and they're asking for ideas and and it, it can be um, risky, it can be um, um, new ground where you don't know what the consequence is to speak up or maybe suggest a, a new tangent that's completely different from the history of the company. And when you just mentioned the notion of trust that no matter what happened in that environment, that you would have new new opportunities, new choices, new dynamics that you could pursue. Sometimes we kind of lose sight of that, and when we click off up ten years in a company, we don't we don't have that bigger picture of uh, of options that we don't really consider day to day. How do you how do you build that trust and still work in in a like a repetitive, constant environment, if that makes sense. You mean build, build a trust that there's there's more to life out there for you. You're more capable of other things or more possibilities. That's what you're referring to? Well, yeah, like 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 we're talking about the business environment and it's uh, the, the male dominance, and now you want to speak up and, and, and create space for that feminine input. What if the the you do that and the the house of cards collapses? Yeah, I mean, right, right, you can right. feel Which vulnerable. Yeah, right. so you, well, you're feeling vulnerable. How do you learn to trust that it it won't be the end of the world if the house of cards collapse? You know what I mean? I mean, how do you yeah, how do you get absolutely. your voice? Okay. No, I totally understand what you're saying, and what's so interesting is that. You know, the conclusion uh, on the trust chapter of the book is you have to trust that you'll be okay no matter what. But what that really comes down to, really, and the root to me of all things is your relationship with uncertainty. It's inner uncertainty and outer uncertainty. And I think we talked about this before the show started that, you know, men and women, in my experience, fear uncertainty the same, the same way, the same amount. I've never had – if I was to add up all my clients, I wouldn't say one gender – fears it more than the other, but because women don't have this open path that men have had for success, for raising money, for, you know, getting ahead, um, you know, all these different things, the road is more uncertain. So when women fear uncertainty more, they're going to have more problems. And that's what this is about. When we don't speak up, we're afraid, right, that, yeah, we might not trust ourselves, but we're also worried that, the unknown won't give us another possibility. 
that un- the uncertainty of what will happen is so crushing for us, right, that we're not willing to stand up. And I talk a lot about that in my book because I never thought that I would I would be without a husband. I never thought that my family would, would blow up like that. And, and it was only my my belief in this idea of maybe, which we talked about last time, that the unknown is filled with possibilities. And when you create a different relationship with uncertainty, you gain that power in your life because you know no matter what happens, you're going to wake up the next day and there will be more possibilities and more opportunities and more things that could possibly happen. But you have to cultivate that relationship. So, yes, you have to have self-trust. You have to trust you'll be okay no matter what. But at the same time, you have to know that uncertainty is your best friend. And I, even though I wrote that book, The Gift of Maybe, I was so crushed that it took me a while to kind of get that maybe back in my life, to realize that maybe there's another life for me. Maybe my thoughts are not true. Maybe there's something else I can do. Maybe I can grow. Maybe I could help people. Maybe I could find a new job. Whatever it is, I, I knew that if I didn't know what was going to happen next, that means I was still in the game, that there was still possibility for me. And so when you're sitting at a meeting and you're so afraid to speak up, if, you, if your fear of losing that job is you think that's your, that life would be over and everything's going to blow up, you're not going to speak. But when you know that life has maybe and your integrity and your trust for yourself and your worth and who you are, what you have to say matters, then you're going to speak up as long as you know that tomorrow will offer you something else other than what you have today. And when you start to believe that, you have more courage. And for me, my relationship with uncertainty is what got me through this. If you tell me what was the most important thing, I would say knowing that the unknown will offer me something new and my commitment to that idea of maybe. Beautiful. Well, I like what you're saying, to cultivate within your own persona, to cultivate that awareness of new choices, new opportunities. Because how often do people wring their hands and live in worry and fret and and get in those mental uh, monologues of of worry, where you think about everything that might go wrong? And I like what you said about cultivating, growing within your own psyche the the understanding the motivation the expectation the the courage the confidence that no matter what happens there's new opportunities so how do you how do you cultivate that in yourself for me it really was through this idea of maybe and i i it's funny the person that um, the ceo of the motherhood center is a psychiatrist and um, so when my husband first left, I would literally, I knew her personally. We were personal friends before I worked for her. I would sit on her couch, and in between meetings, I would say to her, I think I'm dying. And she would say to me, you're not dying. And then we'd do a meeting, and then it would happen again. I, at first, I wasn't in maybe. I, I knew cognitively that the concept existed, but I didn't feel it in my heart. And I actually used to sit down and do the exercise in my I would ask myself what my biggest fear was, and that's what we have to do. We have to allow ourselves to to confront our biggest fear. What's your biggest fear? My biggest fear was I, I was not going to be able to make it without my husband. I wasn't going to be able to live. I wasn't going to be able to stop crying. I wasn't going to be able to stop grieving. I wasn't going to be able to take care of my kids. It, you name it, I had it. But then I asked myself, are you absolutely certain that your fear is true? That's the beauty of it. You know, we fear that things are uncertain but isn't it great that we can't be certain that our fears are true and once you ask yourself you can't be certain I couldn't be certain that I would never get past this and I knew that cognitively I knew that and as I asked myself that question the minute I realized that all my fears might not be true I said what else is there and I started to do the maybe practice and it's simple like you know maybe everything could still be okay maybe I'm going to find my way maybe there's something else out there for me and it took a while before my heart felt it. I have to be honest. I wrote that book, and it, I was so devastated that I had to practice every day. But the beauty of it is the minute you let maybe into your heart and you recognize that life can be different, you start to have a different experience. And you ultimately kind of cultivate a faith because when you start to hang out in the unknown, you're hanging out with a bunch of people who are like, life always works out, and you start to become that person because you start to open up. 
And to me, it was the maybe practice that got me, got me there. A simple little practice kept forcing me to let go and reminding me that I was not stuck, that I could speak up, that I could take risks, that I could take chances because life's going to keep unfolding and it's going to keep changing. And if I stay on that playing field, I will find my way. That was my goal. Don't get off the playing field, Allison. If you get off, you're done. But if you stay on and you can cultivate that courage through your maybe practice and your love of life and, and you love the people in your life, you will make it. And um, that's how it happened. And I, I really believe in the practice. And I actually go through my experience with um, the maybe practice and uncertainty in the first chapter of the book and the exercises in there as well. And, and it works. I, I can honestly say that if we embrace maybe, we will shift our relationship with uncertainty and find the courage to take more risks in our lives. Beautiful. Well, um, you went and gave yourself a head start. I mean, talk about the intuition. I'm, I'm. This is tongue in cheek. Don't take it quite verbatim, but you decided to wreck the train in 2018 and go through the turmoil of it all, so you could be here today in 2021 and speak from experience. Because a lot of people's lives fell apart last year, and there they are perhaps where you were in 2018. So the timing of, of your last book, The Gift of Maybe Finding Hope and Possibility in Uncertain Times, and boy howdy, is this not uncertain times. And then now you're here talking about a whole new dynamic with women's success and liberation um you're you're ahead of the curve here <laughs> and, and i know i know looking back it might it might feel extremely painful but what timing i just have to say thank you thank you for being able to generate all this content with experience and and power to, to have it on the shelf, so to speak, for everyone coming out of the karmic tsunami called 2020. Yeah, it, and I never thought, I have to say that I had never been so low. I, I, the, the fact that I, I'm on the phone with, you know, we're on a call right now and on the radio station talking about my experience with strength and resilience, I, if you would have told me that on June 30th, 2018, I would have never believed you. Even with all the work that I had done, I think, and that I think you're right. It, you could look at the pandemic. A lot of people were wiped out in a lot of ways. And yet life still is filled with possibilities. And the fact that we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow means that there's hope and things can keep changing. But, again, we need to stay on the playing field and we need to learn the tools, you know, and, and cultivate tools within ourselves to stay resilient. And, um, yeah. And, and I hope that, that everybody finds the book hopeful because the book is a hope. It's a, it's a hope for women and it's a hope for a better society um, and that we could live better lives with less stress and less worry and more power and more love for ourselves and, and love for each other. Very nice. Well, now, um, we've experienced the testosterone overdosing. I mean, and the male... Excuse me. <clears throat> the male dominant structure of our culture. What what do the female attributes, the feminine attributes, what do they look like that we haven't seen in the mainstream? Well, what's interesting that that you talk about that because we always talk about this place that I work, the motherhood center, as the matriarchy. And what does a matriarchy look like, right? Like what what's the structure? I think that's what you're asking. Like what's the structure w would, a, would a feminine view bring in? Is that right. what you're referring to? Yeah. And we always talk about, you know, the first thing I think is really interesting is that corporate America has allowed women to work there as long as they'll act more like men and pretend that there aren't kids at home and, you know, pretend that there's, there's not a, a different experience happening, you know, pregnancy, giving birth, uh, work-life balance. And so we're always very aware of, the fact that we have to allow to look at our employees as who they are. And so a lot of women at the, at the company, some of them work part-time. Some of them have to leave at 3 o'clock to pick up their kids. And so when we find a wonderful, fabulous employee, instead of telling them, 
you need to be like this to work here, we look at who they are. And we say, okay, this person is an expert. This person is, a, is really intelligent and really great. How can we make it work for both of us? Corporate America never does that. Um, you know, it's like, yeah, if you're willing to work all these hours and do all these things, we don't care what, what you do outside. But, you know, it's not realistic, especially, I think, you look at the pandemic, how the pandemic really hit women hard because there was no child care. Kids weren't going to school. So if you look at more women lost jobs. And, and, and women are finding it harder to rebound, and women don't make as much money. So I think it's, it's looking at the individual employee as, as a human being and trying to make it work for everyone. I think that's one of the most important things that the workplace needs to do, and I think the workplace also needs to look at child care and not ignore it. It's a real issue. And then I think also, you know, why do men get paid more? Why are more men in, in positions of power? I don't think it's for, because of competency. I think it's because of the power dynamic that exists and, and the lack of, you know, opportunities that, that women have in a lot of companies and how women are treated. So I think that it, it's going to take a lot of recalibrating by corporate America, but it's doable. And it, it comes from looking at everyone the same, right? I mean, that's ultimately what we want, right? We want to be able to look at every employee equally and then judge them on their competency level. And judge them on their truth and, and let them be more authentic and let a little more emotion in the workplace, uh, you know, a, a little, uh, make it a little lighter. People are not going to, like you said in the beginning, people are not going to work less if you're not telling them, if you say that you don't have to posture, people aren't going to just sit down and fall asleep at their desk. They're going to be inspired. You know, when you allow people to be who they are, they're more creative, they're more inspired, they're more present, they're kinder to each other. You're going to have people that are going to stay. You're going to have longevity, and you're going to have a. You're going to be more profitable at the motherhood center. We have been more profitable since we're an all woman company than when there were men there. <laughs> so I really believe that it's not that I want a society of all women. I don't, and my book is not against men. My book is for a better society where everyone is treated well. But at this point, women need to cultivate some new ideas within themselves to be able to step outside to, and be more empowered to make that change. Right. Well, the, the, the women, the feminine, um, need the space within their own psyche to blossom, to, to fulfill, to em, empower and embody. Now, the, the unhealthy masculine from a business management point of view is one thing, but I want to look at just the individual men in the work environment, not the, the business um, management style, but individual men. What, um, what, in what ways do they perhaps not serve themselves, perhaps in, impede themselves, like not showing emotions? I mean, how can men, not in the management role, but just the men persona, the individual men, what do you see ways where they're not honoring themselves, they're not authentic to themselves? First of all, I have worked with some fabulous men. So I don't want to make it like, you know, there aren't great men in the workplace. There are some really innovative, creative, fair-minded, really beautiful men out there, corporate America, nonprofit, entrepreneurs. So I just have to say that. But when I've been in, in situations where there's been kind of a more toxic experience, I, I think that it's somebody, you know, working more for their ego, a lot of insecurity, a lot of fear, a lot of you know, bravado, trying to to create this importance and this respect to feel better. And I, and I think it's really an internal thing, just like I think women need to go within uh, to change themselves, to go back out into the world. I, I think it's an internal process. And I think, um, you know, like I said, I didn't write a book to, <laughs> to help men, but I, I do think you're bringing up such a great point that, you know, I think men are taught that way, right? I mean, we're we're brought up the patriarchy brings men up to act a certain way and they want women to act a certain way. So it's going to take some introspection and, and to go into the workplace and try to, you know, see everybody as equal and, and you don't need to be better. You don't need to be the loudest to be the most successful in the room. Um, and sometimes kindness and respect go, go a long way. Um, 
but I do think that it, you're you're talking about a dynamic that that would take a lot of internal um, introspection. Maybe offer meditation classes at work, offer yoga classes at work, offer aerobic classes, or something uh, for the internal uh, transformation of the individual. Um, because yeah. I, th- yeah. I think That's you're, great. I think you're right. It's uh, the the men have to. I mean, men have some really tough crap on their plate. I mean. Being raised masculine on this planet is no cakewalk by any means. I, and I, I know there's the 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 masculine overdosing of, but there's some heavy sorrow and some heavy anguish and and whatnot in the in the masculine persona, and and the women to have uh, room to blossom, to, uh, room to um kind of step out of the shadow it it's really uh both sides need to move towards a much more healthy dynamic for themselves individually and then of course brought together in in the home in the workplace in society in our culture to have a much more healthy masculine feminine relationship overall Absolutely. And what's so great about the business environment is everyone needs to show up. So when businesses and management start to do it differently, you'll see changes. I mean, you could have workshops. You could have, you know, you could demand certain behaviors in the workplace. You could have people work with each other in different ways. There's a lot that businesses can do to actually start changing the dynamic and to have people start thinking differently. You know, you, I've learned, I learn a lot in business that I take home to the personal. So I think that corporate America and, and smaller businesses, and if we all decide to change, we can help the people that work for us as well and bring them along. I mean, the sad thing is that, you know, a lot of women believe that if I was so great and I was so wonderful and I was so fabulous, why is my life not better? Why am I not more successful? Why is the guy down, you know, three cubicles down, you know, making more money than me? And so we all need to, women need to change internally to start speaking up. And I think society needs to change, corporate America needs to change, men need to change. So, yeah, like you said, we all need to be in on it. And I think the workplace is actually a really great place to start because, like I said, everyone needs to show up. And and you're right, classes and workshops and different way to manage people and, and different expectations, it could all really start to have huge impact. And it's not going to affect the bottom line in, in, in a negative way. In fact, I think companies will find you have happier employees, you have people who stay longer, you're going to have a better company. And if you don't make more money, then you're at least going to have, you know, a better company on a whole. But I find a lot of companies, when they start acting like this, they find new ways to be profitable as well. Nice. Well, now let's let's take a look at you. Now imagine this. Um, the day before your life fell apart in 2018, if I was your friend and I noticed your behavior, if I was involved in your day-to-day life and I saw who you were the day before the train wreck, and and now, today, after this transformation of yourself, if I were sharing time with you day in and day out, how have you changed as an observer watching you from a friendship point of view? What would I notice different about you? I think you would notice that I have a stronger relationship with uncertainty, that I have more grace, I have more resilience. Um, you would notice that I still had pain from what happened. I, I have to be honest. There are, there are certain things that, that still get me. My heart still hurts. I'm more out in the world. I'm more authentic. I'm more honest. Um, I trust that I will be okay no matter what. And uh, I'm more present in my life. And and also, I enjoy the little moments more. It, it's when you lose something so big that you kind of have this deeper appreciation for the beauty of, of those sacred moments. So um, and much more gratitude and much more room in my heart um, for for a better world. I, I don't know if that makes sense, but there's just more of an openness to participate in it. 
and and work as hard as I can as long as I'm on this earth to kind of uh, you know be part of that movement towards that. Wow, how beautiful! Well, while we have our attention on you, tell us how we get your book. Tell us um, if you you're a life coach. Tell us how we connect. Um, do you do it online? Is it in person? I mean, give us a whole rundown of your books and your platform. Okay. My book, A Year Without Men, uh, pre-sales are available right now. I, I think we're, um, it's not in the bookstores yet because it's coming out on July 6th, but you could purchase the book now on Amazon, and I hope it will be in the bookstores after July 6th. Um, my other book, The Gift of Maybe, is also available at all major bookstores and online retailers. I have a great web, website, alisoncarmen.com, and I also have a great podcast called 10 Minutes to Less Suffering, and it's really a beautiful podcast that within 10 minutes um, you're able to find um, something in there to help alleviate some of your daily stress and worry. I am still the part-time CFO of the Motherhood Center, and I do do business consulting and life coaching for individuals and entrepreneurs. And um, you could reach me on my website. There's a place where you could write me and you could look at my work. And it's all, again, just to kind of help alleviate some type of suffering in the world. But I really believe in this book, and I really believe that if women could start seeing the places within them that have been cut down or you feel less than or you feel disempowered from the experiences that you have, this book will really give women a path, a path to, to get their self back, to kind of find a new wholeness within themselves to go out into the world, to live their dreams, to be more successful, to be more authentic, to speak up, and just to live a better life, hopefully. Like I said, the, the book is a hope. It's a hope for a better world. Beautiful. Very well said. Well, why don't you spell out your website? Because Allison can be spelled several different ways. It is allisoncarmen.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N. C-A-R-M-E-N.com. Well, Allison, damn, time flies. Our time is up. I want to thank you so much for showing up for yourself, for speaking your truth, for writing this book, for the passion that you have for this topic. It's quite evident. I want to thank you for being our guest tonight on the show. It's been such a delightful conversation. Thank you so much for having me. It, it's just been a wonderful hour together. Thank you. We've been talking with Allison Carmen, and the topic tonight has been a year without men. Um, what a... What a powerful conversation. I think the, um, I mean, many people have said the awakening of the feminine will be what restores the power and the grace and the beauty of our of our culture. And Allison brings such a, a personal kind of raw experience with her own transformation and and I think that that rawness makes it tangible, makes it real, makes it understandable for people who might just be starting uh, an era of transformation that they may not have expected in their life. Hey, you the listener showed up for yourself. Here you are listening to this episode. I applaud you the listener. And I want to thank you for taking the time to improve who you are. It's my pleasure, it's my passion to bring episodes like this to you, the listener. Go to newhumanliving.com and sign up for our newsletter and and follow us on the, on the radio show here because we've we've been at it now for. <laughs> well over a decade and hundreds and hundreds of shows. It's um, it's the human consciousness. It's the human desire, the human intent that will transform the, the, the humanity, the, the collective narrative. We're, we really have a 
wonderful opportunity in the wake of 2020 to lay a better foundation for ourselves. So, as always, it's been a pleasure. I'm your host, Les Jensen. Until next time, thanks for listening. This has been a New Human Living Radio broadcast. To bring your soul's inspiration into effect and live your life wide open. Check out our host, Les Jensen's book, Citizen King, The New Age of Power, at newhumanliving.com. Thanks for listening.